Gracious Father, we are so grateful we can gather together on this vacation day once a week to sit at your feet and hear from your word, to come to your table, not on our merit, but on yours, minister to one another and any others you cause us to, and that we might rest in your presence, not only this day, but throughout the week to come. And I pray that as we look at this familiar passage, we pray that you would renew our eyes, soften our hearts, give us ears to ear and eyes to see that we might be your people today as that first church was, adding to our number day by day those who are being saved. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. In 2000, I was living in Ambridge, PA at Sherman Street. Isn't that a great name? <laughs> right next to the school there at Trinity School for Ministry. And I heard this song by a 17-year-old country artist, the one-hit wonder, Jessica Andrews. The song is called Who I Am. And it shot up to the country charts and stayed there for weeks and weeks. She had a beautiful booming voice, and it just resonated with me. I, 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 Becca, you got to hear this. She's like, meh. I said, boys, she's great, and they're like, that's stupid, Dad. I said, Kimmy, you got to hear this song, and she goes, that's very nice, dear. <laughs> but listen to these lyrics. If I live to be 100 and never see the seven wonders, I'll be all right. If I never make the big leagues, if I never win a Grammy, I know I'll be just fine because I know exactly who I am. She continues, so when I make a big mistake and when I fall flat on my face, I know I'll be all right. Should my tender heart be broken, I will cry those teardrops knowing I'm going to be just fine because nothing changes who I am. Who is she? She sings, I am Rosemary's granddaughter, the spitting image of my father, and my, at the end of the day, my mama's still my biggest fan. Sometimes I'm clueless and I'm clumsy, but I got friends who love me, and they know just where I stand. It's all a part of me. It's just who I am. She's got kind of a Christian refrain in here. She goes, I'm a saint and I'm a sinner. Right? I'm a loser and I'm a winner. I'm steady and unstable. I'm young and I am able. And Rosemary's granddaughter. You're sitting with me in my truck. Just live the experience, people. Windows are down. Blowing through my hairs. I'm clumsy, but I got friends that love me, and they know just where I stand. It's all a part of me, and that's who I am. It's catchy. You know, just, 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 just play it this afternoon, all right? She's 39 today. Time flies. Well, friends, we're in a series on the church entitled The Church in You. And we're doing this series because so many places it's a 
confusing issue. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does it mean to be the church? So last week we discussed, uh, two weeks ago we discussed what's our focus. And we discovered how beautiful our Savior, our revealed God is. He is the God who is gentle and lowly. Oh, he's holy. He's awesome, magnificent, in whose presence I'm undone. And yet, his first impulse towards us is his gentleness. He's the most tender, non-manipulative, non-abrasive person in the universe. He's lowly, meaning he's accessible. He's approachable. He's the most approachable person in the universe. And we learned last week from that knowledge... We're his ambassadors. God making his appeal through our lives. Right? For God made him sin to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we become the righteousness of God. Can you imagine? That's us. That's just who we are. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to look at characteristics of what it means to be the church. It's just who we are as followers of Christ. And I assure you, I want you to remember this phrase. It's not the quality of my faith, it's the object of my faith. Tim Keller. I learned that 20 years ago from him. And you've heard me say that quite a lot. Because that's the reality. It's because of his grace, because of our status with him, this is how we live. And I'm sure this is going to be a great encouragement to many To some, it's going to be very challenging, even convicting. But I want you to know that the Christian life is always a series of starts and stops. Stops and starts. And as your pastor, I'm responsible for your spiritual health, just as a doctor is responsible for your physical health. So you need to be honest with the Lord, honest with one another, and honest with me. And so we're going to look at who we are over the next five weeks. But today we're going to look at essential characteristics of the church as expressed in the early church. And if I'm wrong, show me. Uh, You know, hey, you're allowed. You know, we're we're not, uh, I'm not Father Gene up here. All right. I'm Gene. We're, We're evangelical stream Anglicans. All right. Therefore, you know, we, we dig into this word and uh, we want to get it right. So I encourage you to open up with me in your Bibles or in the back of your bulletins to Acts chapter 2. As we're going to look at who we are. Because who we are throughout church history makes a difference in the community at large. Notice when there was the earliest Christian community in Acts chapter 2. What made them so different? You'll notice in verse 40 and 41. It talks about them, about the very fact that 3,000 were added to their number right there in the first day. That's historical. That's a fact. That happened. And it's a simple historical fact that for the first three centuries of life of the early church, um, the church grew explosively. It grew to the point where it actually displaced the older Greco-Roman Empire worldview in its way of thinking. It was that powerful. Why? Well, it was because the first Christians, and then as they grew, the Christian community was attractively different. That's the only way I can describe it. Attractively different from the culture around them. 
Well, what's the difference? I would suggest that in this very famous description, which is also in our baptism covenant, our membership covenant, um, the key to understanding the difference is in the very beginning of verse 42 where it says that they devoted themselves. Devoted. The Greek word prokaterio. It's a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a course of action. It's also translated to give away to. You know, some translations say they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. So in other words, what made the early Christians so unusual was this principle of giving their lives away. It was radical in selfishness. And the world had really never, ever seen it before. And it pervaded everything they did. Look at verse 44, for example. All believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, and they gave to everyone as he had need. And the skeptics say, oh, all right, great. Really, is that all that different? Yes, it really is. We see in this passage through Kenneth Scott Latterette, one of the great church history professors, he wrote an essay, and he explained in that essay why, what, why was Christianity so different and why it was so electrifying to people and why it spread so fast. He writes, more than any of its competitors, Christianity attracted all races and classes. Judaism never quite escaped from its racial bonds. Christianity, however, gloried in its appeal to Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian. The Greek and Roman philosophies never really won the allegiances of the masses. They appealed primarily to the educated, the morally and socially cultured. Christianity, on the other hand, grew, drew the lowly and unlettered, yet also developed a philosophy of its own which commanded the respect of many of the educated class. Christianity, too, was for both sexes, whereas two of its main rivals were primarily just for men. The church welcomed men and women, both the rich and the poor. And so here's his conclusion. No other religion took in so many groups and strata of society. The question must be raised why this unprecedented comprehensiveness came to appear first in the world and Christianity. Well, that's found in this verse. And we're going to look at these as essential characteristics. Remember, it's the quality of our faith, not the object of our faith. Therefore, this is just who we are, all right? Who are we? Who are they and who are we? Well, we are people who are devoted to, number one, learning. That's the apostles' teaching, verse 42. It's the first item listed in the order of devoted activities because no matter what, no matter where we are in our spiritual development, we all need sustenance. Babies need milk. Adults need meat. And the Bible supplies both, no matter where you are in your journey with him. The apostles considered the ministry of God's word to be of such primary importance, they delegated other duties so that they could focus only on the preaching and teaching ministry later on in the book of Acts. The demands of their fledgling ministry was great, but as important as those tasks were, 
the apostles' primary task was feeding the flock the word of God. And preaching and teaching ministry is no less important today. To come every Sunday and sit under the full counsel of the word of God changes the believer. Changes their thinking. You cannot love what you cannot know, what you do not know. And therefore, it can't be done in isolation. Okay? It gives substance to our faith. It steadies us in time of testing. It enables us to handle God's words correctly. Yes, you can handle God's words correctly. Equips us to detect and confront false teaching. It makes us confident in our walk. And it calms our fears and makes us bold to follow him. As we do so and we engage in life-on-life missional discipleship in any of our little church communities, we become further devoted to the Bible, the Word of God. It's not a dead orthodoxy. It's not puffed-up knowledge. This doesn't make you proud. If any of us are emitting any kind of pride, knock it off. It should humble us to our core that our Lord loves us this much to give us His Word in this way. And so, therefore, we're devoted to it. And we're a community with the second point that's filled with love, all right? We're also a loving community. The Greek word koinonia captures this very well. It's no wonder that God blessed this new church with growth. It was a loving church. Notice the adjective is not friendly, right? Friendliness is part of loving, but a lot of people can fake friendly. They're friendly up to a point. No, this is a loving church. The early Christians would have had a hard time relating to the modern-day custom of sitting inconspicuously in a Sunday morning worship service than merely leaving and calling it the week for my life, just doing a checklist. Nope. They gathered not only to hear the word read and preached and to sing songs, but to be with one another. They came also for the loving community that it was. The second essential of the Christian, it's just who we are. That Greek word koinonia, fellowship, it's, it's not merely coffee hour. Coffee hour is good. Hang around. It's not a potluck dinner. It, its root means common, communal. It's, it was a tight group. Verse 44 And all who believed were together and had all things in common. It's sad to think how many professed to be Christians are missing out on this kind of fellowship. This kind of closeness that the first Christians shared. Sermons and songs are important and uplifting and necessary, but they provide only a part of the walk of the disciple. We need involvement with one another. And the New Testament portrays true fellowship really in two primary ways. First, it paints an act of sharing something tangible in order to make a need, order to meet a need. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What a picture of sacrificial giving. Believers were selling land and personal belongings not for personal gains, but to help the needy in their midst. That's one form of fellowship. The the other form comes in just shared experience, actually doing life 
together, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, grieving with those who grieve. These are the times, um, there are times when the best gift we can give one another is ourselves. What can, what, who can assign a dollar value to the tears we shed for someone else's loss? Or the time we give a listen to someone to vent his or her frustration? Or an applause upon learning of a brother's or sister's accomplishments? Loving one another. Koinonia. Fellowship. It happens when God's people come together in a spirit of sharing, when full and hearts reach out to fill empty ones. Then the body of Christ is strengthened, and the world notices that. So we're a learning community. We're a loving community. Third is we're a worshiping community. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper. That's coming together weekly under the Eucharist, the communion, the Lord's Supper, whatever you call it. That's the gathering on Sunday. It was the highlight of the week. It's like an irresistible perfume. The holy fragrance of their worship wafted to God. And as the result, verse 43a, and awe came upon every soul. You know what that means? Fear. Is that holiness? That what came to them was this wasn't just a time to come and check off the banner, I came to church. Remember, the church isn't building. The Greek word about the church is ekklesia, right? That means the gathering. This is not the warm fuzzies, <laughs> this is not cotton candy induced goosebumps. Their worship carried them into the very presence of God and they were overcome with the magnificence of his holiness. And from that, they recognized he's gentle and lowly whose first impulse is compassion to us. And it flowed from that compassion to doing life together. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread in the homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. In verse 47, praising God, and they had favor with all the people around them. It erupted in praise. This is what worship is, friends. It's a human response involving heart and mind to divine revelation. And when it happens, both in my personal prayer closet and when we gather together, God is pleased because he delights in worship, that is, as we heard Jesus say, in spirit and in truth. He's pleased. It's not a chaotic. It was an effervescent, spontaneous, heartfelt worship as they gathered each and every Lord's Day. So I'd like to address the elephant in the middle of the room. I told you. Especially those of you who are watching us online, you haven't been with us for two and a half years. Can you be the church in isolation? Not according to the scripture. You can't do life together if you're doing it by yourself. 
the word means the gathering. One cannot gather together merely online. Now, of course, there's times we use this. You're sick. There's time. We got, we got dear saints who really depend upon that live stream. People who physically can't get here, right? And we're going to continue to do it for a season. My son's church canceled it because this is Daniel's church in Detroit. Because people were not gathering. He said it resulted in an uptick of attendance. Because you can't be the church individually. We're the church gathering where the word is preached, where the sacraments are administered, done as a family together. And as I mentioned, I'm responsible for your spiritual health, much like a doctor for your, your, is responsible for your physical health. Notice, awe came upon every soul. What's it like for you to fear God? You ever experienced that? That you're in the presence of, like Isaiah, who saw the train of his robe, that's all he saw? And he goes, I'm done. I, I'm undone? I'm a man of unclean lips? What does it mean for you to sanctify Christ, to regard him as holy and experience the awe of Christ in your heart? What does it mean for you to love Jesus? 1 Peter 1.8 says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. What does that mean to you? What are your experiences of experiencing no anxiety or experiencing fearlessness in the face of a threat? Talk to me about your spirit-wrought affection for fellow believers. That's the biblical faith. And so, dear brothers and sisters, entrust all our lives, we learned in week one, fall into the beanbag of Jesus, remember? And let's follow Christ together, for it's not the quality of our faith, it's the object of our faith. And this early church was so contagious they devoted themselves to it. They made this the priority of all the days of the week. They kicked, they scratched, they clawed, they got here, even when it wasn't convenient. So if you've been away, I'm, this is not meant to be a guilt trip. We miss you. Come, walk with us. Because it's going to get real exciting in a couple months. All right? Walk with us. And we're just glad you're here when you're here. We all have bad weeks. Come on, walk with us. The fourth characteristic, we're a learning community, we're a loving community, we're a worshiping community, and the fourth is, and it's essential, we're a praying community. They were devoted to it, implying that they were gathered together both on the Lord's day and as they prayed together in, in smaller groups. It's a high priority for them. Their passionate faith kindled themselves into personal involvement with one another and sparked a passion to know and serve the Lord. This also enabled the Christians to listen to and care for one another in a profound way. So as the book of Acts progresses, it reveals what an integral part prayer placed in the life of the early church. 
Well, it's an integral part in our lives today, and, and we're going to be doing some prayer meetings as we approach, because if you haven't been to the building meeting yet, please come after the service. We'd love to share with you. But it's a crisis of belief for us. <laughs> we're not exactly sure how the Lord's going to do it, but we're believing the Lord will do it, because it's plopped into our lap, and the Lord has opened the doors. It's an exciting time for us. But prayer is the only link we have to Christ as we carry out his kingdom work here on his kingdom. It's how we receive his guidance and strength and it reveals our dependence upon him. And so we too, like the early church, can experience a kindling effect when we pray for other believers and when we join with them in prayer. So it's times of personal prayer, it's times of corporate prayer. When we have people come from non-Anglican traditions, they come in here almost all the time beyond receiving the Lord's Supper, they always say, I loved our prayer time together. It's unique. We got something special. And so we too, like the early church, can experience that. On the other hand, if we isolate ourselves, we become like a charred ember that falls from the fireplace onto the hearth, slowly growing cold and dark. But when we're a learning community, when we're a loving community, when we're a worshiping community, and we're praying together, that's attractively different. And of course, the source of such devotion is out of a love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave away his life, who devoted himself to us because God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of Christ. We have abundant life as we fully surrender to him. So each and every one of us can sing a Christian version of Jessica Andrews' Who I Am. I am a child of the king made, of, made in his image. He calls me by my name and he's my greatest fan. He's for me, he's with me, he's in me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm clueless and I'm clumsy, but I got friends who love me. And they know where I stand. It's all a part of me. It's who I am. Do, do you look at the balance of the Christian life? It's really quite balanced when you think about it. They follow the apostles' teaching, the word of God, the Bible, that's good theology. Hmm, kind of sounds like the Reformed faith. Because it's those Presbyterians who take their theology, John Owen, which is like drinking sand. They also had dynamic worship. They praise God all the time. Hmm, that sounds like they're kind of Pentecostal-ish. Thirdly, they had intimate fellowship, breaking bread with one another all the time. That's like those non-denominational people, Right? Fourth, they were praying both individually and corporately in small groups. Kind of sounds like Methodists. They were radical and relentless in their evangelism. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That sounds like Baptists. And they were giving away their money to the needy all their time. Well, that sounds Anglican. You know, I say, we're going we're gonna to do a fundraiser for our, our, our pulpit and our table. And people go, yes, I'm in. You guys are more excited about that than the building. 
Guess what, friends? A really great spirit-filled church does all those things. And if we do all those things, we'll be more and more conformed to the image of the one who gave himself away for us. It's just who we are because we're his. Let us pray that we will all be that church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for granting us a glimpse to see how the changed lives of the early church became a contagious community and how we might be a contagious community. And so we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and help us put these things into practice immediately, remembering it's not the quality of our faith, but it's you, Lord Jesus, whom we worship and adore. And we come to you in prayer as we offer up our gifts, our prayers, and our hearts to you and receive your supper this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.